do, 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 do. Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 655. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Uh, before we press record, my sweetheart asked me if I knew we were recording. Well, I mean, I, what, I'm, what I meant was, you know, this is on Zoom now. Right. And I got out of bed, put on my favorite rainbow hoodie sweatshirt, and here you go. This is my bedhead. I know. It's fine. They like, just they the audience just they don't want they don't want combed hair for me. They they want the real me. All right. The real me is this hair, if you're looking at this on our YouTube channel, and my rainbow hoodie, which I wear often. I know. Early and often. I uh yes. And that's fine. Like I accept you in all of those ways. Um, just wanted to make sure that you were Noted. on board. <laughs> well, the problem with the hat is it blocks out the light. So uh-huh. there's a shadow cast on my face. So it uh-huh. looks weird. Okay. So you're, you're worried about looking weird with a shadow on your face, Yeah, but you're fine with wearing the exact same clothes for every show and not combing your hair. Not every show, most shows, but yeah, this is my favorite 90% sweatshirt. 90% of shows. 90%. Yes. So if you want to see what Kathy and I are talking about. It's just funny because you're saying... I don't want a shadow cast on my face. So you are concerned about appearance. Well, first of all, I think I look outstanding. Yes. I, I, honey, you always do. It's fine. The bedhead is my look for today. I was not saying you need to look better. I just want to make sure you understood that it was being recorded. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning into um, my, my most natural state. Okay. Let's just say that. All right. Um <laughs> On today's show, Kathy's going to talk to us, or we're going to have a conversation about... Parenting nostalgia. Which um, is going to be an interesting conversation. But first, Kathy does these Zen Parenting Moments, and she does them every Friday. And all you have to do is go to our website and sign up for them. And this one is called Deserving... Or just scroll below, right? Or just scroll below. Thank you, sweetie. That's even easier. Deserving and worth. Mm -hmm. And you start with a Brene Brown quote. Worthy now, not if... Not when we are worthy of love and belonging now, right this minute, as is, period. And then you write three pretty short paragraphs about what that quote meant to you or deserving and worth. Anything you want to add to it? Yeah, I was having a conversation with one of my daughters about being deserving of things, being, uh, she something had happened where she had um, gotten someone had done something nice for her and it made her feel overwhelmed mm-hmm. because she's like, I just feel like now I need to do something. And she was able to admit that sometimes it's just easier if she's the one doing nice things all the time, because when someone does something nice for her, it makes her feel like she owes. Mm-hmm. It's a like a back and forth. Sure. So totally understandable that there's, we have built that into our system of belief really. Um, and there is always a nuance of truth. There's always an element of truth in everything, it just sometimes gets skewed. And what I talked about was that when it comes to love and kindness, we're not keeping score, Mm. that it's okay to accept kindness. um, And it's it's even more important to give kindness without strings. Mm. Um, Because if we are going out in the world and saying, I'm going to be kind just so I get things back, that becomes a uh, challenge for any relationship, friendship, partnership, uh, especially parent-child. If you think, I'm going to do these things for you, child, and then you'll do things for me, then we're um, we're not doing it then with intention. Right. We're thoughtful intention. We're doing it with 
I want to get mine. Transactional That's the language. So I kind of changed the word for her and said, it's really more about feeling that you're worthy of it because you are. And if you're worthy, then you can accept with grace mm-hmm. and say thank you. And you can also give without expectation. Cool. And that's it. Um, as I was doing um, just a teeny bit of research this morning, I stumbled across this 37-second Brene Brown clip uh-huh. on YouTube. And it's titled, This is What True Belonging Means. Oh, okay. So it's kind of uh, not exactly in line with what you wrote about, but I think it's worthy anyway. Sure. So here's Brene. So shocked to learn in the research that the opposite of belonging is fitting in. Because fitting in is assessing a group of people and thinking, who do I need to be? What do I need to say? What do I need to wear? How do I need to act? And changing who you are. And true belonging never asks us to change who we are. It demands that we be who we are. Because if 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 we fit in because how we've changed ourselves, that's not belonging. That's not belonging because you betrayed yourself for other people. Mm. And that's not sustainable. Isn't that great? It's That's what Braving the Wilderness is all about. Yeah. That whole book is about what true belonging is. Mm. Um, and yes, I love it. And it's never it never ceases to be powerful every time I hear it, even though she wrote a whole book about it. Um, it's very true. Right now, I feel like... We're having an experience right now where that is so true. Um, so it's just ringing very true for me. Um, but it is when we become chameleon-like and we go into every setting and kind of shift who we are, how we talk, what we do, um, maybe even shift our beliefs about what's important to us, our value system, our character, in order to have other people um, like, us. like us, we have already lost a sense of true belonging. Yeah, and it fits beautifully in your, mm-hmm. you know, deserving and worth. Mm-hmm. Like we only are worthy as if we fit in. Right. Um, so yeah, thank you, Brene. Would you say Brene, I mean, you slash we slash all of us have had so many wonderful teachers. Yeah. But she's obviously for you, you know, um, Bill Simmons podcast, they always talk about the Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Like the top four. Yeah. Brene would obviously be on your Mount Rushmore. Oh, for sure. Can you think without giving you any more time to consider it, who would who else would be on your Mount Rushmore? Let's see. Mount Rushmore for me would be You only get four. Uh, okay. Uh Richard Rohr. Mm. Um Brene. Um I would say uh this is hard. I know. Because I, I, I want to say Thomas Merton, but it's so similar to Richard Rohr. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go some go some yeah. go a different direction. Um, I would say uh <laughs> God, Dad, this is hard. I, I mean, know. they're all coming into my head. Why do I have to only choose four? Because it's called Mount Rushmore, sweetie. I know, but then it How makes many presidents sense. are on the Mount Rushmore? There's four. Four. Okay. Teddy, Thomas. George and Abe. Do you know they didn't finish them? Yeah. Okay, we were there. Scatter just told us that. <laughs> no, we went there last year. They just did the heads and they were going to do like their their mid-set, like their their chest right. too or something like They're that. They're like, no time. Yeah, we, we ran out of time. I'm not going to care about your Mar- Mount Rushmore and I'm going to say all the people so I can just be free because I don't like your games. Sweetie, let's restrict everything. <laughs> right, like why Why do people do because that? Because it, it, and you could do whatever you want, okay, but the, you. the whole idea is you have to discern and really challenge oneself to come up with only four. Because what they say, you know, on the Bill Simmons podcast, like the Mount Rushmore for NBA players is like whoever, Magic, Michael, you know, Kobe and 
you know, Kareem or it, something or and whatever. And I get it, like, because <clears throat> then we're talking about everybody, and then it's like, okay, how do you, sure. you know, I totally get it. I just feel like um, it, it restricts me from just saying people right. that are meaningful to me. So Glennon, obviously, has mm-hmm. been meaningful to me. Cheryl Strayed, uh, Danny Shapiro, and uh, Anna Quinlan. Um, um, let's see, I would say, and then the, there's people who have been, who inspire me in different ways to be more bold, like Sarah Silverman and Amy Schumer and people who are like, if they can speak up about that, I can speak up about that. And then there's all sorts of, um, thought, you know, Maya Angelou, obviously I would have said this more like 10 years ago, but I took everything from Oprah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like all of her work. And now there's new authors that, you know, thought leaders that I'm following that are, you know, introduced. I talk about Tarana Burke, probably every other class period in my uh, social work class. Um, I, uh, and then we have all these new people that we love, you know, just look at the back of my book, yeah. like the books that I list. Um, there's your book right here, yeah. sweetie. Oh, there it is. It just so happens to be close by. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's just, there's, uh, there's so, I think what you're trying to get to is if you looked through the work we do where does a lot of the research come from? But I talk about Kristen Neff all the time too, her self-compassion. I knew when I came up with this question, you would... Yeah, it's like when the girls are like, what's your favorite movie? Only one, only one. I'm like, that's, (laughs) I can't. What's your favorite color? Don't say (laughs) blue-green. I Um, can't. So in the appendix of your book called Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World, Uh you have an appendix and Uh you say the books are returned to again and again. Yeah. I'm not going to read the names of the books, but I'm going to read the names the of the authors. authors. Yeah. Brene Brown, yeah. Debbie Reber, mm-hmm. Thich Nhat Hanh, mm-hmm. Anne Morrow Lindbergh, mm-hmm. Isabel Wilkerson. I don't mm-hmm. know who that is. Oh, she wrote Cast. Don't don't step over that. I'm not that, stepping over it. I'm but, telling you I don't know who that is. Okay, but you didn't read Cast, which is a really important book about race and culture and inequality and how we got to where we are. And it's like, you know putting a book in the back of my book about talking about race and inequality, which is like a big part of the front, it's hard to find one that encapsulates all the things. And this is one that does. I think it does because it's very, it's historical, it is accurate, and it has some hope in it. Mm. Like there is some, because obviously there's so many books I've read about, you know, being an anti-racist and talking about um, these issues. And I love people's memoirs and personal experiences, but there's something about this book that was... Made me want to put it in the back. Anna Judith? Yeah. Um, Anadia Ju- Judith, I think is how you say it. Uh, Anodi- you know, it's so funny. We went through this when I did the audio book because I was saying it one way and then the director's like, no, you've been saying it wrong. Yeah, so well, let's just say the title of her book instead. Eastern Body, Western Mind. Yeah. And that's a book that she writes about chakras. you have yeah. had forever. Mm-hmm. Pema? Yeah, Pema Children. Dan Siegel. Yep. There you go. There's another person we refer to all the time. And Mary Hartzell. I want. I don't want to ignore her. She wrote it with Dan yep. Siegel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Susan David. Yeah. She writes. She wrote Emotional Agility. Anna Quinlan. Yep. That's it. Yeah. So there's just a lot of. Um, See, that's a lot of chiseling into hard rock. And then let's get into the true Mount Rushmore, which is Jane Addams, who is the first social worker. Who is you know as a social worker, she's the one that. That's we, my great 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 grandma. I don't know. No, she's got two Ds. You uh, just have one D. Well, sometimes, uh, you know, great-grandparents leave Ds off. Right. So maybe maybe that's my great-great-great-great-grandma. Yeah. My grandma's name got changed uh, from a V to a W. Yeah. And now that's what the, 
the main name is. And Michael Cor- uh, Vito Corleone, mm-hmm. his last name was not Corleone, mm-hmm. but like he was coming through Ellis Island. Yeah. And he's like, uh, Vito, and where are you from? Uh, it's from Corleone, Italy. Mm-hmm. And that all of a sudden became his last name. Exact same thing that happened. That's that's what happened. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's jump into parental nostalgia. Okay. So... I told Todd last week that I wanted to talk about this because I was watching Atlas of the Heart, which I know that we've already talked about. Um, and I, the the part that hit me the most was the section about nostalgia, because I think the discussion about what nostalgia means helps us, you and I, define what we're talking about on this show even better you know it's like when you're trying to get talk about granularity when you're like trying to and i say talking about granularity because that's what susan david always talks about with emotional agility you want to get down to the granules of what you're feeling you want to get down to the granules of your beliefs and i feel like nostalgia is a perfect example of um what we think we want versus the truth Okay, so let me just give you some understanding. Yeah, help Uh, me understand. Okay, so let me give you a few quotes just to kind of, you know, so we're all on the same page. So this is, again, this is from Atlas of the Heart. So this is a Brene Brown thing too. We brought her up at the beginning. Nostalgia is also a dangerous form of comparison. Think about how often we compare our lives to a memory that nostalgia has so completely edited that it never really existed. Mm Mm-hmm. And the reason why this is important when we're talking about um, parenting is I would say what I run into the most uh, with parents is a belief that their childhood was the right way to do things Mm. and that the experience their parents had, and, and this isn't true for all, there's a lot of parents who are investigating what their parents did or they swung way to the other side where they're like, I'm not going to do nothing that my parents did. But a lot of times there's a nostalgia about our childhood being the right way. Mm. And we, you know, you do it, I do it. You know, oh, I played outside all the time. I was on my own all the time. I rode my bike everywhere. Like Todd and I have been enjoying um, watching Euphoria. And one of the things that we just think is so interesting is that the kids ride bikes everywhere. And they're like 17, 18 year old kids. Yeah. And we're like, oh, like it makes us nostalgic, nostalgic mm-hmm. for like the way we used to have the freedom on our bikes. I feel like I'm back in the 1970s whenever I see Rue get on her bike. Exactly. And they all do it. Yeah. You know, like it's not, I mean, not, obviously. Not Nate, Not sweetie. Nate, right. Um, he He's has too a, cool. But they can drive. Yeah. Like these are not people who can't drive. They're just on their bikes. And there's, that is intentional mm-hmm. for, it's like a way to make us feel yeah. nostalgic or, or, or different. But um, there is this you know, this way that we structure, that our brain structures things where we filter out the things that were hurtful and harmful and we hold on to the things that, for example, if you were talking about your um, holidays Mm -hmm. and you would, we'd talk about, let's just talk about Christmas. It's easy because, you know, in your family, everybody got together, right? And you would be like, oh, Christmas, you know, I just remember this. And I remember how my dad got a second job to like Mm -hmm. get us all these presents. And I remember how everybody came together. But you've forgotten the arguments. You've sure. forgotten the challenges of the moment. You forgot that maybe you were even sick one year. Like, and that's okay. Like, this isn't a, we're not trying to like berate ourselves over this, but nostalgia is like the filtering uh, out. Yes. Um, so, but can't it, can't, and this may take, give us a detour of this conversation, but can it work the other way where we actually scan out 
the good stuff? Of course. And and what I want to talk about is that it's not about where you land and that you should land on the negative parts. Mm -hmm. It's about the willingness to investigate what you're believing. So if you are a parent and you decide things should be the way they were in the 80s, you're forgetting a lot of things that weren't fair or healthy or good from the 80s. And if you want to say, hey, I wish kids rode bikes more, okay, mm-hmm. that's that's a that's a good one you can bring in. But if you're like, my childhood was the better way, yeah. then you're forgetting that we had no way. Like, for example, you know, one of the things we know from the Jonathan Heights work or Stephen, there's somebody's book about how things have gotten so much better, but we don't know it. Pinker? Is it him? Yeah. He's usually the guy that and talks he, about that. He stuff. just talks about how rampant. Um, compared to now, I mean, like in the 80s, things like sexual assault and molestation mm-hmm. and that kind of abuse were because nobody talked about it. Kids were left, you know, to deal with it themselves. Um, and we, but because no one talked about it, it made us more comfortable. Yeah. Right. So now the fact that people come forward and say things, uh, you know, like this happened to me or either 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, or this just happened to me, it makes us super uncomfortable. We're, we're like, we like it when things were quieter. Simple. We like it when things were simple. So this is a, a few things. I'm just going to take it from the book. So this is uh, Stephanie Kuntz. She's a historian. This is the Brene Brown book. Yes. Um, but this quote is actually from Stephanie Kuntz. She says, there's nothing wrong with celebrating the good things in our past, but memories like witnesses do not always tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We need to cross-examine them, recognizing and accepting the inconsistencies and gaps in those that make us proud and happy, as well as those that cause us pain. So I kind of feel like that quote is a better encapsulation because you just said, can't we focus on... Yeah, well, I said, don't people sometimes do it the other way is they forget about the good stuff and only think of the bad stuff. Like, oh, my dad was such a... I'm making this up. Mm -hmm. My dad was such a drunk, which may be true, Mm -hmm. but there's... My guess is unless he's an evil man, he probably did a lot of good things too. But Correct. you just say, oh, my dad was just a drunk. And both, the, the key is not where do you land on any given day? It's are you investigating it and trying to, you know, the paradox is reality, mm-hmm. right? A lot of things are true at once. Um, it's we are very um, binary in our thinking. We want someone to be good. We want someone to be bad. We want something to be right or wrong. And the truth is in every situation, there were things like the language I always use about parenting is take the things that worked mm-hmm. and and leave the things that didn't, not with disdain or anger, but with it's a different time. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have to to walk away from situations and decide that we're going to like carry hatred about it. Well, and I feel like my example, because I've shared on this podcast many times that my parents used to fight all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Now, let me get curious about that. My parents used to fight all the time. That's not close to true. No. My parents rarely fought, but when they fought, it was bad. Right. So that would be a filtering out of, that would be a misperception of what happened. So mm-hmm. like if I encapsulate my child as like, oh, my parents used to fight all the time, mm-hmm. which I've said many times, that's not close to true. Right. There was good times. There was fun times. Right. There was neutral times. There was bad times. But um, I think it's um, very natural for us to want to simplify something right. instead of 
investigate it. Especially the things that, the you know, why do memories get ingrained? Mm-hmm. It's because they're a shock to the system. Yeah. That something is different. There's a trauma. There's something unexpected. Because if things are going along as planned, our memory doesn't even retain it mm-hmm. usually because we're like, you know, this. it's a little more of an autopilot. But as soon as something, there is some kind of abuse or something that scared you or something that would be life-altering, it gets embedded, yeah. you know, not only in your mind, but in your body if yeah, you don't. It's almost like trauma gets embedded inside of our nervous system, right? Of and I just wonder if uh, whatever the opposite of, of trauma is, um, free, joyful moments, like whatever it is, does that equally get embedded or no? Well, I don't think it's that literal. I think the, all the parts of you where you have an understanding and a value system and a love for your parents and a love for your siblings, that's the result mm-hmm. is you all love each other and yeah. you grew up and depended on each other. And so the outcome is not necessarily the embedded, the embeddedness is your ability to be a loving, caring, compassionate person. Mm-hmm. And, and from them and from other parts of the world, yeah. like we, we can have bad things happen to us and not think the world is entirely yeah. bad. Right. And we can have parents who did not make great choices or had a lot of challenges, but also see what they did that was yeah. really helpful yeah. or what we learned. So just a few things that to share that this, you know, this is pretty interesting that nostalgia was considered way back when nostalgia was considered a medical disease and a psychiatric disorder until the 19th century. Mm. Today, researchers describe nostalgia as a frequent, primarily positive, context-specific bittersweet emotion that combines elements of happiness and sadness with a sense of yearning and loss. So this kind of connects to bittersweet, which Mm -hmm. we talked about last week. Um, Why that's important is I'm not going to go through all the history because it's kind of, I, it's hard for me even to follow, but there was a time that nostalgia was considered a psychiatric problem, Mm. like longing for home there's something wrong with you. Like, and it had to do with people being forced out of their homes and like lots of shifting and changing. But this is, this is probably the most important part. It says, nostalgia emerged as a double-edged sword, a tool for both connection and disconnection. It can be an imaginary refuge from a world we don't understand and a dog whistle. This is what's going on right now in our world used to resist important growth in families, organizations, and the broader culture to protect power, including white supremacy. So listen to this. What's spoken. I wish things were the way they used to be in the good old days. Mm -hmm. How many people say that? What's not spoken when people knew their places. Mm -hmm. Oh, like comma, here's the yeah. here's the next thought. When women didn't ask yeah. for what they need, yeah. when you know, um, you know, organizations didn't exist that were trying to have their rights. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that people were asking for human rights. You know that. Um, let's see what also is not spoken when there is no accountability for the way my behaviors affect other people. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to the good old days where I can say whatever I want, mm-hmm. and nobody's going to call me out on it. I want to go back to the good old days where I can treat people however I want and nobody is going to call me out, yeah. you know? Also, what's not spoken, when we ignored other people's pain, if it caused us discomfort, the time when we we just were like, no, things are good, mm-hmm. things are fine, and if you're in pain, then that's, that's what the world is. Yeah. Like, you have to deal with it. So, um, and then the last one was, when my authority was absolute and never challenged. Mm-hmm. Okay, because, you know, if right now, if you challenge, you know, uh, anybody in authority, there is a sense of you're trying to hurt our kids. Mm -hmm. You're trying to hurt our country. Like there's these. um, Oh, Todd, remember the word I I told you about that? I'm like, I have to be able to use it on the show because I love it. Thought 
diminishing cliches. Mm, that sounds right. Thought stopping cliches. Yeah. Thought it's, con- it's like a conversation stopper. Yeah. It's like where you say something like, well, I, I kind of think that we need to talk more about, you know, people's human rights when it comes to um, LGBTQ community or when it comes to, you know, racial injustice and people will just all of a sudden say, um, or women's rights or reproductive rights. And they'll say, well, you just, you know, th- there's a, there's a comeback that is said to um, minimize, negate, minimize what, end right, the conversation. Right. You're just trying to destroy this. You're yep. just trying to hurt this. You're just trying to, you know, groom children or kill children or these things where it's like, how do you come back with a conversation mm-hmm. when people throw those, you know, thought stopping cliches on yeah. you? Like, where do you go? So last thing is nostalgia. Um, so is nostalgia good, helpful, bad, dangerous, or detrimental? The answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> All of the above, which is why we're lucky to have this, re- you know, this interesting information. So why I wanted to talk about it now to bring it in context with parenting is I think this gets in our way when we're raising our kids, this nostalgia where we kind of want the old framework of I want my kid to go to school and have these experiences and be in this group or this sport or this club and I want them to be perceived as this person and I want them to there is already a belief and a structure that we want our kids to fit into that is based in nostalgia Mm -hmm. and I think that can be true anywhere uh, no matter the school but really deeply true in certain cultures that let's just talk about Texas that idolizes football okay Mm -hmm. you want your kid to play football you want your you know your daughter to do cheer you want your there's like a belief that this is the structure that you need to fit into and if you don't then the value is and and i'm not saying all parents believe this but this is like the i'm I'm doing this with my fingers this is the feel of the culture right and even if we're like no no this is fine we still believe there's a right way to do things and that our children are doing things wrong so just take that into anything. What movies your kids are into? They're, you know, if they happen to be neurodivergent and look at things completely different and we're like, no, no, this is the way things need to be. And I think the the most important thing is the investigating of when things maybe did seem more clear and clean cut to you and who was benefiting and who wasn't? Mm-hmm. Because we look at a time when no one was speaking up about things as being like a better time. But the truth was there was a lot of people being hurt. There was a lot of people being quieted. There's a lot of people being closeted. And we just, and I'm saying we, meaning if we didn't have that issue or we felt that we fit in, in the traditional chameleon way, sure. we didn't worry about it. Yeah. And so right now when people are like, you know what, I'd like to live freely and mm-hmm. I'd like to be able to speak um, what I believe, and I'd like to be able to investigate new ways of living, we then call that disrespectful, mm-hmm. or we call that, you know, we want to call back to a different time. Yeah. So um, it, it's just, I think, another way to describe what we talk about on this show is sure. there's nothing wrong with nostalgia. Yeah. But there is... Investigate what what it means, what what's not being said, kind of like some of the statements in that book. Mm-hmm. It's funny, like, so I have two thoughts. One is, um, I don't know if this will make sense. You know, when I was in third grade, we had this kid named Jay mm-hmm. in the class. And now with hindsight, he was absolutely neurodiverse. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what neurodiverse no. meant. He was just one of those kids that had- He's just different. Diff- yeah, mm-hmm. and he always sat right next to the teacher desk. Right. And I'm like, you know, back back in the old days, in the 80s, you know, everybody was kind of similar in in 
except for Jay. <laughs> right. When in fact... I'm laughing because it's ridiculous. There was right. probably maybe kids in my class, but probably a lot of kids who weren't even allowed to go into that school. Absolutely. Because... Jay was one of 30. Nowadays, there's so many neurodiverse children. Right. They were there back then. Absolutely, they what, were. What happened to those kids back then? Like, where did they go? What type of school did they go to? Well, they a lot of them had to learn how to fit in yeah. and had struggles along the way where they were not, they were called not smart mm-hmm. or they were called, they became social Be- outcasts. Behavioral kid. He's a behavior kid. Right. He's a behavior kid or they learned to fit in so well that they, shut down at the expense of who they are and so that's the thing is the misunderstanding is you know like we're you know where are all these trans kids coming from or where are all these gay kids or bi kids coming from they've always been here they just have not been able been forced to to be somebody they're not and when you know i've talked to some adults who are like oh i think some of these things are phases and i think that kids you know go in and out of these phases and it's not real well it's the last statement that I struggle with where they say it's not real because maybe they are going in and out of phases of meaning that they're they're t- kind of going in and saying, who am I and what do I feel and, and what is my sexuality? Who am I attracted to? But that explore that exploration is not unreal. It is a part of them becoming who they are and they have at least up until this time that I feel like we're struggling with where people are passing laws to harm kids is they've had more freedom. So what they're doing is they're decreasing the amount of things they have to unlearn mm-hmm. when they're older. What we don't understand, you, and I get really upset with this, is that if you decide to tell your child to be a certain person or a certain way, and you say, you can only stay in this box and I'll only accept you or love you if you're in this box. And if you explore outside of this box, you embarrass me, you embarrass the family and you're going to lose everything. That kid may stay on track for you, Mm -hmm. but they will eventually implode in some way. I don't know if it's when they're 20, 30, 40. And when I say implode, what I mean is you can't deny who you are. And I mean that in every way, shape and form when that comes to culture, when that comes to sexuality, when that comes to gender, when that comes to, you know, introvert, extrovert, we are who we are. And if when parents and, and we as children and as teens need to explore those things, how does this feel? What is this like? Can I read? And the fact that we're now, (laughs) I can only laugh. Deciding to ban books and keep kids from reading other human beings' experiences is, first of all, so idiotic because kids have access to YouTube and everything, so they're going to see it all. Mm-hmm. The, it, the fact that you think keeping that book out of the library somehow keeps a thought from their brain mm-hmm. is unbelievable. What you're basically doing is keeping them from reading sure. because kids like to read books about kids who have different different struggles or similar struggles they like to read about a kid who has figured out who they are or who has risen up in some very brave and different way and the fact that we are holding back those stories because they make us feel guilty they make us feel this is the nostalgia thing mm-hmm. we shouldn't be talking about our country because our country is amazing and we shouldn't be discussing and making people feel guilty the woman, this this woman who was quoted in this in Brene's book, she, book, she was saying, "It's not about feeling guilty." Like I kind of feel like we we I we have to say this again. We are in charge of creating the next iteration of our country, mm-hmm. and if we don't recognize our history, 
then we could really go off track and make a lot of mistakes. History is there yeah. to teach us. It's not there to guilt us. It's there to learn from. And pretending that that this history isn't there and pretending that everything has always been great and that it's this person or that person that's causing the problem, we are not only creating positively, or excuse me, not only creating a future that potentially will help us relive our history, right. where we have to go through it again. Like, doesn't it, And you know, we talk about things as terms of countries. Countries are similar to human beings. If you don't learn, you know, let's think about ourselves. If you go through something and you don't learn the lesson from it, if you don't look into your history and say, "Oh, I figured that out. I learned that. I'm not going to do that again," you will repeat it. Yeah. So countries will do this. Well, and you and I don't think we're going to play it, but that Michigan state senator put it so oh, eloquently. She said it beautifully, but she, and, and which was so interesting because it's exactly what's in this book about. Can you find that part? Um, yeah, I could probably clip it. I think because um, it's how long is it? It's four minutes, but well, not the whole thing. Right, I just I know. mean the part about the the. She didn't use the word nostalgia, but she talks about for those people who think that going back and and looking at our history somehow makes us less patriotic or less loving of our country, that's the whole way you love your country, right. is you say, what could we be? Yeah. And what have we been? And what should we let, just like in parenting, what should we let go of? And what should we take with us? You don't, you don't pretend that everything was great. Mm-hmm. You say, here's what was great, and let's take that. But this, we could have learned some lessons about human rights or <clears throat> inequality. Like we really could have done this better. And we have all these opportunities now. And there are so many people that want to go back and do it the old way. Like I, Todd, I always used to um, think about those photos of the kids going into school the first time when yep. we, you know, um, segregation. Yeah. Um, I always think of Horace Gump. Yeah. And... You know, these kids are walking into school and there's like adults around them who are spitting on them Mm -hmm. and um, yelling at them. And I always think, wow, those the children of those people or those adults seeing these pictures must be so embarrassed Mm -hmm. that they couldn't see a broader future for all people. And yet it's happening again. Yeah. (laughs) People are spitting on people literally. And, um, you know, there's nothing funny about it. It just keeps me from crying. Right. I just have like, it's unbelievable. And it doesn't mean that we don't want to hear everyone's perspective and fears and what they are what they think they're going to lose or gain. But a lot of the fears are based in, in lies. Mm-hmm. And so the ability to listen to people's stories and read people's memoirs and read people's books and learn about people who fought, like having respect for our country in terms of who fought for civil rights. Yeah. I think I found that clip. Oh, good, good. All right. Marching alongside them to say, we've got you, to offer protection and service and allyship to try to right the wrongs and fix injustice in the world. So who am I? I am a straight, white, Christian, married, suburban mom who knows that the very notion that learning about slavery or redlining or systemic racism somehow means that children are being taught to feel bad or hate themselves because they are white is absolute nonsense. No child alive today is responsible for slavery. No one in this room is responsible for slavery. But each and every single one of us bears responsibility for writing the next chapter of history. Each and every single one of us decides what happens next and how we respond to history and the world around us. We are not responsible for the past. 
We also cannot change the past. We can't pretend that it didn't happen or deny people their very right to exist. I am a straight, white, Christian, married, suburban mom. I want my daughter to know that she is loved, supported, and seen for whoever she becomes. I want her to be curious, empathetic, and kind. People who are different are not the reason that our roads are in bad shape after decades of disinvestment, or that healthcare costs are too high, or that teachers are leaving the profession. I want every child in this state to feel seen, heard, and supported, not marginalized and targeted because they are not straight, white, and Christian. We cannot let hateful people tell you otherwise to scapegoat and deflect from the fact that they are not doing anything to fix the real issues that impact people's lives. Is that a good stopping point? I mean, come on. Like you and I heard that, what was it, four or five days ago? Like I heard it in the morning. I think she had done it. And I don't know. But I was like, thank you. Mm-hmm. Why can't we just have clear messaging like that? Mm-hmm. This isn't about I'm right, you're wrong, and I'm going to win and you're going to lose. It's about the truth, the reality mm-hmm. of what when people are using fear mongering and, you know, she start. Can you give me her name? Sure. I know it's with an M. but I'm, Senator. She's from Michigan. Mallory, Mallory McMorrow. Mallory McMorrow. And I'll include this clip uh, on the show notes if you want to see. It's four and a half. It's almost five minutes, but that was the part that spoke most to me. So she starts it by saying that basically what happened was her opponent had sent out an email the night before um, because it was a fundraising email calling Mallory McMurrow a groomer Mm -hmm. because she wanted to make sure these things we're talking about didn't happen. She wanted to make sure we did learn about history, that we didn't ban books, that we supported kids who were different, that we... Um, you know, and so she was being called a groomer, which you and I did a show, you know, that word is being thrown around now a lot when it comes to politics. And, um, we did a show about three or four weeks ago about what that word means. And when we start to use that word to get our political needs met, we are really detract. We are taking away from people who really have that experience, you know, you know, girls, women who are molested or sexually assaulted or boys or men, it happens, but it is a real thing. And when we say, because of your beliefs, beliefs, I'm going to use this word on you. Groomer in the Urban Dictionary says, it's someone who builds a relationship, trust, and emotional connection with a child or a young person so that they can manipulate, exploit, and abuse them. Right. What a horrifying attack. Yeah. Yeah, it's she's this this her opponent was not the only one who's been using it. It's mm-hmm. really dark, um, and it's it's a heart just like thought terminating thought terminating cliches. You That's did it, it, sweetie. Just like thought terminating cliches, it's a hard one to come back from because mm-hmm. it's very hard to explain yourself when someone throws things like that on you because anything you do, you get wrapped up in their web mm-hmm. of um, how do I explain this. Um, with all the nuance. Uh, We don't like nuance. We want things to be... Simple, easy, black and white. Yep, and that's just not life. Um, So I think you're going to be hearing more from Mallory McMurrow. This is wonderful. Thank Um, you for your leadership, Michigan State Senator Mallory McMurrow. Yeah, that was pretty great. Maybe there's a bunch of YouTube clips, but it's been watched by 38,000 people, which sounds good, but it's really not that many. Like, this should... 
this should go viral. That may not be the only one. Yeah, though. That's what and I mean. it did go viral. Uh, President Biden called her yesterday. Did he? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. She's it's she's doing just fine. Yeah. <laughs> and and I and in no way am I like and that was her intention was to have the, it's, no she she has she a re- message she responded to an attack exactly in a way with passion and vigor and in a way that I think the nuance the I truth. I need to learn from her right how do we how do we stand up and use our voices to inform people and inspire people to um, lean into connection and love versus disconnection and hate. Well, and one of the reasons I talk about Tarana Burke so much in my class, um, she and Brene did a book together. Um, will you look that up? Look up Tarana Burke and um, Brene Brown. But I, I want to speak about that book. But I also want to talk about the fact that she is very clear in her own like activism that shame does not help people change. Mm-hmm. And so she is a woman out there. You know, she started the Me Too movement. You are the best thing. You are the the best thing. It's uh, I think it's stories about mm-hmm. uh, women of color and you know their experiences and when it comes to things like vulnerability and shame. But she, you know, she talks about that when it comes to activism. You you are bold and you speak truth and you speak up and you speak to power. But shame does not change people. Shame no. and fear. And obviously, this comes from Brene's work. This is why they're working together. But this belief, it this when we use tools of the oppressor, the oppressor which means that we become the same type of people that someone who would call, you know, someone calls us a groomer, so then Mm. we're going to use even worse word. We're just using tools of the oppressor. Like we have to use more thoughtful um, language to explain where we are and why. And I know we don't always have enough time. We don't Mm. have quick sound bites. No, because... Her speech was how long? Four and a half minutes. Right. Who's got time to watch four and a half minutes? Exactly. Yeah, you have to, because in a... In an Instagram, Facebook culture where, you know, you decide if you're skimming through your TikTok or your Instagram, you're deciding within one and a half seconds whether or not you're going to spend any more time on this thing. Absolutely. And um, you got to capture the attention. Yeah. And that's an unfortunate thing when it comes to what it means to have values and character and goodness, because it's very nuanced. Mm -hmm. People are not perfect. Not everybody makes the greatest choices. Sometimes people are not the worst thing they've ever done. Um, People make mistakes. Well, it reminded me a little bit. We've talked about um, uh, Brian Stevenson a lot on this podcast. Oh, he's on the Mount Rushmore too. Oh, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. It's getting big. Well, we use all of his... Yeah, I know the Mount Rushmore is now like a street. <laughs> We're like, these are all the houses. Um, but yeah, his work has impacted us a lot. Yeah. Um, and when we saw him speak in Evanston, he talked about the difference between Germany and its issues with its history mm-hmm. and us. And mm-hmm. in Germany, there are all these reminders of what happened mm-hmm. in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. And in our country, I mean, there's a few museums out there about slavery, mm-hmm. but instead we exalt, you know, the the generals from the Union and the Confederate Army mm-hmm. and not about what that, you know, the oppressed people in that moment. Well, we're also saying right now, I don't want my kids reading. And when I say we, there are people who are like, I don't want my kids reading about a history that I think you are making up to make my kid feel guilty. Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah. It it it, well, it does to them. I don't I I don't want to be I'm not like I don't want to be disparaging in that I don't think whatever they're thinking comes from a place of maybe hopefulness about 
their kids, but it's they're putting it on the wrong place. Right. And and certain people think the best way is to move on from the past. And what Brian and I agree with him taught us is you need to heal mm-hmm. the past to move forward. You don't pretend it doesn't exist. Well, you at least have to acknowledge it or else you recreate it. Yeah. Like how many times have we heard History repeats itself unless you acknowledge what happened. And you don't have to acknowledge and figure out what happened and then be, you know, a puddle on the floor. Mm -hmm. You you acknowledge the people who stood up. Mm -hmm. You acknowledge the civil rights leaders. You acknowledge the people who are willing to, you know, who who were willing to stand up in the face of not very risky. Risking everything, risking their life. So we can look back and just say, yeah, the history is bad and I don't want my kid to learn that. Or we look back and say, look at these brave people Mm -hmm. who were willing to say, this isn't right. Mm -hmm. And we need to have more conversation about this and we need to focus on human rights. And we, you know, there's just, it's like we can't, you know, I'm like knocking my head because it's like, we don't understand the parallels. Mm -hmm. It's like, and people are so willing to have these arguments about, no, this is a different thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm going to decide that I'm going to create legislation to basically keep LGBTQ kids, or we'll just focus on trans kids right now, keep them from getting the medical support they want because that's a political savvy move mm-hmm. and you know we don't believe in that anyway and they don't need that and that's child abuse i mean it's these are hospitals and research and doctors like i worked at um you know children's memorial like or it's lurie children's hospital that's how aged i am but like you know 25 years ago and we were the gender clinics were like and it, that's not what it's called. I want to give it its Gender due. affirming care. Gender affirming care, but the clinic at um, the oh, part of the hospital. Uh, Genesis? Is that what it's called? Well, no, because that's in a different state. I'm talking about at Children's Memorial. Oh, at Children's. I'm sorry, sweetie. I was trying to pull up the daily podcast that Oh, we yeah. That to was interesting, week. too. I just want to give the clinic. Partial. I don't know. I, I, I was paying attention to something else, so I don't know what you're talking about. Um, yes, I understand. But my point is, that, uh, yeah, it's called Lurie Children's Hospital Gender Clinic. Like, that was there when I was there 25 years ago. This is like not the the support that children need when it comes to, and adults for that Mm -hmm. matter. That's the thing is you can decide, I am not going to talk to my kid about this. I'm going to say they're wrong and I'm going to be angry at anybody who talks to them about this, but they will one day grow up Mm -hmm. and they will have to unlearn and, you know, figure out and become who they are at some point. Mm -hmm. And what I kind of feel like you and I are, are talking about right now is in terms of parenting is can we keep our can we support our kids with growing up where they can be thoughtful and exploratory about themselves and vocal about their needs so they don't have to unlearn so much sure. when they get older yeah. that's because what does unlearning mean a lot of pain a lot of trauma a lot of disconnect a lot of addiction issues like it's it's painful well, and um, so two things. One is there's a podcast called The Daily. I think it's the second most downloaded podcast yeah. behind Joe Rogan. So if you haven't heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's they, New York Times, right? They had a two, yeah, it's a New York Times thing. They had a two-part last week, When Texas Went After Transgender Care, part one and two. It was really helpful to me to understand it because I haven't spent that much time understanding um, all that's happening and what's what what certain people are trying to do and why and why. Um, so if you're interested in that, it's just an outstanding two part podcast, but, um, getting back to the part where you were talking about how sometimes parents want to direct their kids in certain ways, in a way that the kid is not allowed to be who they are. Mm -hmm. 
And for me, I feel like, I think us parents sometimes um, try to mold our kids sure, too much. Of course. We try to guide them. Sure. Probably mostly through the lens of love, try to teach them, try to give them lessons, try to mold them in such a way. And if I were going to have any advice for any parents out there, including myself, because I fall victim to this as well, is just get out of their way and get curious to see who that is that they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But I think we get afraid like, oh, if this kid is this way, then his life is going to be tough or her life is going to be tough. So I'm going to instead direct them that way. And well, it's it comes with such a significant cost. Right. Right. And I think the nuances both can be true. Mm -hmm. Like you can have loves and interests that you share with your kid. Mm -hmm. You can say, hey, let's start throwing around a baseball because I love baseball. You can say, hey, let's, you know, try a dance class because I love dance. Let's get you interested in art because I had a great experience with art. You can introduce your kids to so many things. But it's that's not a problem. It's not just standing back and saying, do whatever you want. You can you get to be a human being with Mm -hmm. another human being and Mm -hmm. share who you are. The problem is when we say this is who you will be. Yeah. That's where it becomes a problem. Yeah. Is that sometimes our kids are like, you know what? <laughs> like I just think about all these funny conversations we've had with our daughters. Like I remember, you know, like when Skylar was doing soccer really early, you know, they get them in like when they're five or something. I remember she's like, I really like soccer. I just don't like the running. Yeah, we don't like running. <laughs> so like, well, maybe. Like, maybe. Maybe she'd be a goalie. Other than that, soccer's probably not going to work out. Right. And the thing is, she was really being honest. Like, here's, I've tried these things. I've played for two years, but I just don't like this part. And we're like, okay, that's a pretty good indicator Mm -hmm. that, um, and you know, some parents would say, well, you just keep her going and Mm -hmm. she'll eventually love it. Kids can be trained to do something. Sure. But I have seen And even trained to love it, even though it's not really intrinsic love. Yeah. For some reason, I'm thinking of the, uh. That drummer movie, uh, what's that called? Um, the one that we, you were talking about with your sister? No, no. It's from like eight years ago. Oh, you're talking about Whiplash. Whiplash. And I, I don't, I never saw it, but I think he was forced into drumming, right? Well, he, no, he was forced to play in a certain way. Got it. So he, he was a drummer, yeah. but went into this jazz band and J.K. Simmons was basically like a, a cultic. Yeah. Like he was like a... And, and he ended Abusive. up being a really good drummer, right. but what we don't know is at what cost. He was miserable. Yeah. Got in a car accident at the end. It was brutal. But we debated that that movie years and years ago because some people are like, see, he became it good. It worked. Yeah. But he totally lost his mind. Yeah. Andre Agassi. Yeah. He was one of the best tennis players ever. He hated tennis. Yeah. So some, it's about what we call success mm-hmm. because some people would say, I want my kid to be successful traditionally, again, nostalgic, in whatever way that looks. Even if they're miserable, I want them to be the best. Mm-hmm. And it will look good on paper. It might look good to other people, but what's going on in the human being in front of you? Yeah. And what are they doing? And and again, these are sometimes things match up. Sometimes you have a kid who loves the things you yeah. love. It matches up and that's beautiful. This is not a problem. So do you remember when Greg Brady wanted to be an architect? Hello. And then it turns out he didn't. Wow. That didn't work out. That didn't work out. So that example doesn't work. But there are plenty of kids who follow in their parents' footsteps. Even I remember I was in college and my parents were teachers. My aunt was a principal. You know, I grew up with educators all around me. And I remember I was in college and I was going to be a journalist and I was sitting in a class one day and I was like, I want to be a teacher. I literally was that like clear. clear. And um, that was a whole process because I had to change my major and everything. But sometimes you end up wanting to do what your Mm -hmm. parents do, you know, like. 
Um, and then I switched and I wanted, I didn't want to be a teacher. I want to be a social worker. And everyone was like, that's but, great but too. But you went to school to be a teacher. Right. And, and I was like, but see what I learned from teaching is I love being with people, but I want to talk about feelings, not reading. Mm -hmm. So it was a part of my journey. So when people are like, I don't want my kid exploring, it's a part of the journey. Mm -hmm. It, it's a part of how you figure out who you are. It may not be where you remain and stay, mm -hmm. but it's so when we like box kids in and say, you got to stay here, then they don't have that journey, yeah. but they'll eventually have it. But sometimes it's a little more chaotic. Yeah. Um, and as a therapist and as other therapists know, they probably know what I mean. Um, one last kind of take, and I meant yes. to bring this up earlier. Just, well, so we're circling back to nostalgia. Yeah. I'm guessing that there's parents from the 1920s mm -hmm. When there was no radio, I don't know when radio started. Let's say it started in the 1930s. My, my mom used to listen to it as a kid, so. And my guess is 40s. the parents who grew up with no radio, mm -hmm. and then the kids got radio right. and can listen to all the shows. Right. I'm sure, I'm guessing there's a lot of those parents who are like, remember the good old days right. when there was no radio 100%. and my kids just went outside all day. And then the radio parents brought up the TV kids. Right. And the radio parents are like, oh, remember the good old days when we just listened to the radio right. and kids, we didn't have a screen? Their eyeballs are going to fall out. So then the TV parents raised the iPhone kids. Mm -hmm. And because I think like, you know, sometimes like, oh, back remember in the 80s, all we would do is like go outside all day. Right. I watched a lot of Brady Bunch. And you and I played a lot of Atari and video games. I like played that. a lot of Intellivision. There was arcades that we went to and all we did is I would pay quarters. money yeah. to go look at a screen. I know. So the idea that, know. you know, it's like selective memory. Nostalgia. So then these kids who are growing up on their iPhones and iPads, whatever it's going to happen in 20 years from yeah. now, they're going to be like, I remember the good old days when we just had Instagram. Totally. And, and it doesn't mean for those of you who do the research and you're like, no, it does hurt them. You know, Instagram, Facebook, it, it, we have all this research. I'm not saying it's all good. Mm -hmm. It's just the belief that everything is all bad yeah. or that it should be like it was 20 years ago. Like I'm, I, the thing that's interesting about all of these social networking platforms and everything is we just have to infuse some compassion and some humanness in it. We act like it's AI and that there's no humans involved. Mm -hmm. Humans are creating these algorithms. Mm -hmm. So we need, the reason that whistleblowers are saying we are targeting kids mm -hmm. and we are targeting kids who struggle. Mm -hmm. That's where we need some humanness. Yeah. We don't need more computer. We need a human in there saying we're not going to do these, you know, these algorithms anymore and target people. But unfortunately, that's where all the clicks are. That's where all the money is. It goes right back to all those starting points where, you know, what people call success. So the bottom line is what we're summing up with is it's not about right or wrong, good or bad. It's not that nostalgia is bad, it's, but it's about being willing to investigate who you are, why you do what you do, your history, the reality of it, you don't have to throw away the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Hold it, you know, like hold on to it. Like, you know, I'll finish with this because you said the story about my parents fight all the time. I kind of have a story that I was on my own all the time. Mm -hmm. That's not true. Right. Like, I'm like, oh, I was totally on my own. I was a latchkey kid. I did everything by myself. I ate by myself. It's a story that I tell. And the truth was my parents were home. Sure. Like I saw, we went to dinner. Like I, I went to see my grandparents. I went to see my aunt. Like I had, I had friends over, but there's this, what I was left with was I had a, there was a loneliness that I had mm -hmm. that kind of like, that I filter things through. Sure. But dude, that wasn't the reality of my life. Yeah. It was, it was part of it. So, that's so it, I have a question yeah. for our audience. Do you want to hang with Kathy and I on zoom tomorrow at yes. 1 PM central? 
Wednesday. Oh, is that a Zen talk? That's a Zen talk. Oh yeah, come be with us. So come be with us. First month is free. Uh, click on the link below. Just check us out. Uh, but you got to put on the coupon code FRIEND. And just it's going to be Kathy and I and a handful of other teams and people. And we record all of them. We've done 140 of them. And the minute you sign up, you get access to all of them. Uh, the other thing is you're doing a Mother's Day. Do something Zen for yourself this Mother's Day. Yep. So Friday, May 6th, we have about 80 some odd people. Yeah. Signed up, and it's going to be just me and you hanging out again. Well, I think it'll be more than that. Oh, it's going to be more than that. <laughs> um, my goal is to bring everybody together right before Mother's Day. Um, focus on some ideas that hopefully will be, you know, kind of illuminating, maybe inspiring, thought provoking, and then people can ask questions. Todd is going to manage the um, Zoom. The what's it called? The chat. So yeah. people can ask questions. We can maybe even have some live questions or discussion. You know, it's not, sometimes people, like I, I realize that sometimes when I go to things like this, it's just, I kind of want a new perspective. Sure. Like I'm struggling with this thing. Um, it's not that we need like, here's the solution. It's how can you look at this differently? And, yeah. and I think we're going to tap into that a lot. Um, so um, I do want to plant a seed. It's oh, free and virtual. It's free and virtual. virtual. And Kathy's book, Zen Parenting, oh, Caring yes. for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World. And... You have an audiobook, or you? The, it do. is also available on audio. The audiobook is kind of like swallowing the ba- the paperback, like, and I, I appreciate that. It's probably because I'm a podcaster, like you know, mm-hmm. maybe people, people like prefer listening. to hear it. But yeah, the audiobook is is tends to be where people are going. But I like I'm I'm an old school paperback. I girl. know you are, um, and I do want to plant a seed on June 9th. Men Living is hosting an event for everybody. Um, however, you if you're a man, woman, or identify in any way, uh, we're having a tri-faith panel. So we're having, I think my first uh, title of this night was going to be a Christian, a Jew, and a Muslim walk into a Zoom room. And all they do is talk about their faiths and then the commonalities amongst the faiths. So my my hope is that the Zen t- the Zen parenting listeners will bring, if, there, if your kids and yourself uh, don't know a lot about these different religions. Or how they overlap with or each other. Or how they overlap. It'd be a wonderful thing. So for, um, Thursday, June 9th, and it's going to be, um, I'm going to be hosting it with um, three people. One of the people we interviewed for Uzma. the uh, summit, mm-hmm. Uzma. Mm-hmm. And I requested her because she's so amazing. And then uh, we have somebody of the Christian community in it and a, somebody from the Jewish uh, community. So... Just planting a seed in that, um, you can um, RSVP for that in the show notes below. And then lastly, Jeremy Kraft, Bald Head of Beauty, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800. Thank you, Jeremy, for continuing to support Zen Parenting. If you have, if you live in Chicago and you have any around-the-house projects, Jeremy's your guy. And then I guess that's it. Anything else, sweetie? That's it. I, I appreciate the, uh, you know, I've had a lot building up as far as this nostalgia and these feelings about how... We have to be more nuanced yeah. in the way we perceive the world. And I'm just so glad we got to do this show. So thank you for listening, everybody. And I'm going to start uh, chiseling some rock for your Mount Rushmore, sweetie. Boy, get started. It's a lot. It's a lot of people. A lot of people. Uh, keep tracking. Adios. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are always grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen pre-ordering Kathy's Zen Parenting book or subscribing to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com. If you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we will talk to you again next week.